right, well, I think we'll just jump in and start here and let any late stragglers come in <laughs> as they may. Uh, let me open with, with our prayer for the week here. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. All right, I'm going to be starting here. So welcome back. Uh, this is Lent 3. Lent 3, good. Third week, I got it right. So welcome back. Last week, if you were here with us or if you were listening, um, we introduced Lent and some of the disciplines and practices that you can use to kind of create that space in your life um, to allow yourself to do some reflection. Uh, so that was what we did. So if you haven't heard that, you are welcome to hop back and listen to that or whatever. Um, but I hope that you have started and tried to do something to allow yourself to explore a little bit this liturgical season. Next week, if we look ahead, we're going to be talking about um, learning more what we're going to do with the insights that we've gained. So if the practices that we take up or the rituals of Lent give us the space that we need to be able to assess ourselves, next week we're going to talk about what you do with some of those assessments. Um, this week, however, we're going to pull back a little bit and look at um, two big tensions in the Christian life, and they're big concepts. I know you've heard of them before. Um, grace and sin. And we need to talk about these two because these words become almost so used that we stop understanding their meaning over time. But if we gloss over them now, we won't be able to fully apply what we're learning about ourselves next week. Okay? So... There is a phrase, I am not a native uh, Latin speaker, but I will, I will give it a go here. You might have heard it before. Simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator. It's a famous phrase. It's said by Martin Luther. You might have heard of him before. Um, Martin Luther, and it means at once justified and a sinner. At once. Okay. Now, this phrase has become, um, you know, I was... I, first half of my life I was Lutheran, so I learned this one pretty good, and I have this in my head forever and ever. But this basically means it's his understanding of who we are in God, and it's kind of become the Protestant perspective of who we are in God. So he understands us as being, our identity in Christ is we are considered to be righteous, right? That is our standing in Christ, not on our own, but through Christ, that's us. Yet we also live with the reality that even though I am a new thing being made new in Christ, I am also a sinner, right? I wish not, but I am, okay? Now, as Christians, we get to live in this tension, in this tension of these two truths, sinner and saint. I am both at once until we die and join into the life everlasting. Then God fixes all that and sorts all of that out, and we're fully realized as fully new beings, okay? Amen. God will sort that part out. But in the here and now, the almost and not yet of our daily life, we are both saint and sinner, righteous and unrighteous alike, okay? Um, we have to hold these things in tension, and they're two wildly different things, but we have to hold both of these things true. The problem comes like this. 
I don't know if you like feeling tension. I don't. Tension is not something I like to live with long term. Tension and release can be a lovely thing. Think about listening to a piece of music and you're waiting for that final chord to hit. You hear that tension and then the next chord hits and that's release. And you're like, oh, yes. Or think about uh, reading a good book and you're wondering how it's going to wrap up and it's a mess. And then you see it resolve and you're like, well, thank God they figured it out. We see this time and time again with mysteries, with novels, with stories. We can deal with some tension, but we like resolution as people, right? We want to be resolved. I do too, okay? Um, the problem is we don't get to choose when and how this is resolved. So too often, the temptation is, when we have something like this, is to try to cheat it one way or the other and err too far on one side or too far on the other or just oversimplify so that we don't have to live with that feeling anymore. Does that make sense? I don't want to deal with the messy reality that I am both considered righteous by God and yet continually sin. That's not fun. I don't like that. It would be easier if I could just say, you know, God considers me righteous. I'm good. It would be easier to say, well, I know God is good, but I'm not. And that's where we are. Neither are quite true. And that's the tension we have to work on upholding. Okay? Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's this necessary space that we walk in to greater or lesser struggle for our life in the here and now. Um, and I, my personal theory on that is we have to do this in order so that we learn to be reliant on God for how to walk the walk. Okay? Is there anything I missed in that uh, beginning no. that you would no. include? I think that was an excellent introduction. <laughs> Does that make sense, guys? This is the basic kind of intro premise. We'll, we'll pull this out, but I don't know. I feel this tension. I don't know if you all do, um, but I certainly feel this. Yeah, it's, it's something we actually deal with a lot when we think about our faith, when we there are theologians that all of us are theologians all of us think things about god all of us try and understand god and we regularly want to resolve complex ideas so they can be simple and easy to know but to know the god who is infinite and our lives that are complicated right there's just some things that we have to kind of hold a little bit open-handed so today we're going to talk about sin and grace but we're going to start with sin and i get the fun job of talking to you guys <laughs> all about sin for a little bit um Okay, so we, we talked last week about that work of, of doing disciplines and noticing things about our lives, right? So that's what happens during Lent. If we make the space for God to reveal sins to us, he will reveal parts of our lives that are out of order. He will reveal those things to us if we're honest and open and make that space. Um, and sometimes we look at sin as just like a series of oopsies. Like, oh, I just made a couple <laughs> of little mistakes. Um, there's a, there's a book by an author named Francis Spufford. It's called um, Unapologetic. Um, I, I recommend it to you with a, a cautious recommendation. He's a British novelist and wrote why Christianity makes emotional sense to him. Um, and in his preface to the North American version, he points out that in, in England, they don't care about certain language in the same way that we care about it in the church in the United States. And so... It is just littered with profanities all over the place. Like it is just, it's a very, he, he says that these are just different cultures. In any case, he makes a really good illustration about how sin, 
becomes this word that we use to like market chocolate. Like sin mm. is a word that we're like, oh, sin's like a little fun treat that we get, right? Like oh, I'm being a little bit sinful. That's how culturally we use that word. And if we use it in the way of like a death dealing reality, that would sound kind of weird. Um, but we don't always approach sin with the gravity that it is, that it's this thing that, that leads to death. It is, it is our, our high propensity to mess things up. <laughs> we have this tendency to, to, in our relationships, in, in our friendships, in our families, we just have this weight on us that, that pulls us towards being selfish, that pulls us towards doing harm, thinking about ourselves first. You never have to teach a child that, that they should be selfish. Hmm. No one has to teach you how to think of yourself first. We, we do that naturally. It's just this weight on us. And I think many of us know, like, okay, when a, when a kid doesn't share, that's, he shouldn't share. But many of us know how sin can build upon sin and build, sin can build upon sin. And in a nice, polite society, we don't like to think about things that can wreck lives. But sin, sin is death-dealing. Mm-hmm. In, in a sort of cosmic sense when it comes to offending the, the ultimate God, but, but also in a sense that sin really eats away at our lives. When, when Moses stands in, in front of the, the people of Israel before they go into the promised land, he says there's a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. The way that leads to death leads to death now too. It's not just a thing that will eventually on the celestial exam be graded as false. <laughs> it's a thing that, that brings death into the world now. So it's important that we spend a a moment kind of plumbing into the gravity of what sin is. Um, So I want to know first from you guys, what definitions have you heard Mm. of what sin is? We're going to look at it from a couple different perspectives. Um, Disobedience. Disobedience. That's a good way to put it. Okay. For sure. What other ways have you guys? Choosing to do wrong. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Selfishness. Selfishness. What other ways have you guys heard sin talked about? Self-indulgence now. Mm. Self-indulgence now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. I see what you did there. That would be silly. Yeah. 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 So it's it's helpful. A lot of what we said said have to do with the active things we do. It's interesting that every Sunday morning when we confess, we confess what we have done and what we have left undone. We sometimes talk about sins of commission, things you do, sins of omission, things you should have done, right? I, I, I should have done this thing. We, we can't escape sin by just sort of sitting in a box and never acting, <laughs> right? That, that might keep us from doing some things, but it keeps, us, it keeps us from doing the things we should do. That's the parable of the talents. The person who buries theirs and never invests it is considered to be sinful and wicked because they did not do anything with what they were given. There's a, Adam and Eve are created in the garden to do work and cooperate yeah. with God, right? That's, that's what we're made to do. Um, it's interesting to me in the Old Testament sacrificial system, there are sacrifices for unintentional sins. Hmm. Sometimes a lot of sin is stuff we do actively, right? But, but they have a method for restitution with God when you do something by accident. Um, we don't always like that. I am the kind of person who, 
uh, if I didn't mean to hurt you, I don't want you to be mad at me because I meant, even especially if I was trying to be nice to you and I ended up hurting you, like you're not allowed to be mad at me because I tried to be nice. But that's not how it works. When someone hurts you, it doesn't matter if they were trying to hurt you, they hurt right. you. Accidental sin, we can still harm other people. We can still do wrong by accident. Yeah. Um, wrong thoughts, right? It's not even just our actions, but it's our internal life as well. We can cultivate sin. We can, and we want to be careful to make a distinguishing between temptation and sin, right? Jesus was tempted in every way we were, but without sin. But what's that distinction before yeah. you move on? Temptation. So if, if I, if I feel the desire to do something wrong, if I experience that, that's one thing. That's temptation. That's temptation. But when I then latch onto that and choose to cultivate those thoughts or I choose to to engage in that to feed to feed that part of my soul right that's choosing to cultivate interior sin if we want to think about it like that um, so sometimes you hear about sin one way is like missing the mark hmm. right all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God um, and that's true sometimes God asks us to do one thing and we don't do it we, we miss the mark um, but if that's our only sort of metaphor or our only construct, um, I think that makes sin and righteousness sound a little bit too much like a test, mm. like an exam. Like God's got the, the answer sheet. We're supposed to do X. And when we don't do X, we get points off. And Jesus erases and fixes our cosmic scantron <laughs> before he does us. I don't know. I, I didn't plan that metaphor. That one just mm. happened live. Um, right? But... But a deviation from God's intent, totally. But what I want to actually think about this morning is give you a couple of other pictures that for me have been really helpful in understanding my own sin, and then we'll get to the grace part afterwards. So sometimes the Bible talks about sin like it's a thing, like it's a force on its own, right? That the, the sin is this, this sort of nothingness that eats things up. Hmm. And sometimes we experience that, right? Temptation doesn't always feel like an internal conversation, like I want to do this or I don't. Um, I think that manifests in popular culture as like a little shoulder angel, a little shoulder demon, right? Because we, we sense that there is something that is pulling us. It's not just all inside of us. There feels like evil as a real thing, um, as a cosmic reality um, that will be defeated, that will be gotten rid of, that will be gone at one point. But right now, we just encounter it like a, like a thing. You know what I mean? I think when we look out and when we really get into the lives of people uh, and we get out of the world and we see the brokenness of the world, it feels insufficient to say, well, sin is just a series of bad choices mm. and it's nothing more because you look and you see this is a mess. When you really, really spend time to know the brokenness of the world, in some places it's on the surface and in some places it's, it's all inside and we hide it under our pleasantness. But it, it seems more powerful than just, well, I made some bad decisions. It feels like a thing that, that pulls us down. Sometimes we talk about this in terms of original sin. Um, sometimes we might talk about, about spiritual warfare, about temptations that come from an enemy that we really have. I don't want to give Satan too much power because sometimes I think, I think there is real spiritual warfare and sometimes there's just this propensity that I have to do it on my own. <laughs> sometimes I don't need the devil's help to sin. <laughs> sometimes I can do it all by myself. I can be selfish even without the devil's help, right? Mm. So that's one way that we think about it like a force. 
There's another way to think about it like coldness or darkness, right? If I say, what is darkness? It's the absence of light. It's not a thing. You couldn't make a dark flashlight that shines darkness, right? And the shadows on the ground aren't some sort of mega light. So on one hand, we, we talk about it being a thing, but in, in other ways, it's helpful to think about sin not as a thing, but as an absence of a thing. Coldness isn't a thing. Coldness is when there's no heat. Darkness is when there's no light. And sin is where God's goodness isn't present. Mm. So sometimes when I reflect on who I am and I see those parts of me that are broken, sometimes it's helpful to realize this isn't just a an evil thing. This is actually where God's goodness hasn't found its way in yet. This is a place where I've not received love, and so there is a lack of God's love. But God's love can still break in, right? Healing can be then where, where light shines and where heat is felt. This is one of the ways that um, sort of Christians centuries ago talked about it. Augustine talks about it this way, that sin isn't a thing. And, and that actually makes us feel a little bit good about who Jesus is and who God is because it's not that God just shows up where where there isn't light yet it's not this equal opposing force it is just simply where God hasn't made himself known yet or, or God hasn't uh, the goodness of God hasn't extended yet sometimes we can think about it as a parasite as a deviation from God's good intent hmm. right so these are all just different metaphors. None of these are like the thing sin is. But these are ways that people have thought about it that are helpful. So if we think about it as a parasite, sin latches onto good things and, and distorts them and twists them and, and changes the compass heading a little bit. I, I was preaching this morning over at uh, Church of the Holy Spirit, and uh, one of the examples I used in my sermon there was um, in trying to understand our desires. Do I want to preach well because I want to equip God's church? Or do I want to preach well because I want people to tell me that I preached well afterwards, right? Sin takes a good thing, leaps on it, and says, well, what if this was, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, it's bound in all of us. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are, are, we, are we loving our neighbor and our family because we are truly embodying the love of God? Or are we loving our neighbor and our family because it feels good to love and we like when people love us back? Um, sin can take good things and latch onto it like a virus. For me, that's a really helpful way to look at it because then as I discern what's going on in my life and diagnose the problem, it helps me realize that, that maybe what I'm dealing with is not like a murderous rage, but it's actually something distorted, something that God wanted for good but used for evil. It's like the, the opposite of what happens to Joseph, right? Joseph says to his brothers, after they sell him into slavery, he says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Sin does the opposite. What God meant for good, you used for evil. That's a helpful diagnostic tool, I think. Sometimes, I think sin is, it, it's defined as l distorted love. Either loving the wrong things or loving the right things in the wrong way. I'm going to say that again because that's a whole bunch of words mixed around. <laughs> Sometimes sin is loving the wrong things. Is loving a thing I shouldn't love. Mm -hmm. Loving, loving, you know, uh, greed. Loving money loving things I shouldn't love, but maybe sometimes it's loving the right thing in the wrong way. This, I, I think, and you know, I just did a month ago a series on um, sexuality with our youth group. This is what I, I think it means for people to, who have sex outside of marriage, right? 
it, it's, it's a good desire. We're meant to be people in union with other people. That's all how God made us to be. And if, if a teenager sleeps with their boyfriend or girlfriend before they get married, this is, it's loving the right thing in the wrong way. The love between, between people is beautiful, but it's, it's in the wrong way. It's not how God intended it to be, right? And that's a helpful way for us to diagnose the problem, too, because it's a way of saying, okay, sin took the love that I have, the good love that I have for a good thing, and I'm loving it not the way I'm supposed to. Mm. Greed is another example of that. It's God gave us resources, and we can love that God gave us gifts and use them well. And greed is saying, instead of this as a resource, I'm going to love this like my own, like a different God. Mm. I'm going to love wealth as its own God. This, I think, again, an important way, an important diagnostic tool as we spend time and we see those things bubble to the surface where it's not quite the way it should be. Um, understanding, maybe I need to look at it like this. Maybe this is a helpful way to look at sin. Um, there's another type of sin that the Old Testament talks about that's harder to wrestle with, and that's corporate sin. Is sin of, of the community. It's hard to figure out when a whole society goes astray mm. what the sin I did is like, right? It's hard. We look back and we try and diagnose historical figures and we say, okay, this person who lived in like colonial America and they had slaves and we say, well, they were just a person of their day. Well, yeah, that's why they did that. And if they stopped owning slaves, it's not like the slave trade stopped to exist. But what does it mean to be a cog in an evil machine? Mm. <laughs> no one gear is responsible for the whole machine, but every gear has its own little place. And, and so in the Bible, you see Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Mm -hmm. He's in front of God, and he, he, he gets this vision, and he feels totally unrighteous. He's like, God, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It's a recognition that we've done something wrong and I'm just part of this system. Um, Daniel prays for forgiveness for, for the people of Israel in exile and for the sins of their ancestors. I mean, if sin is just about the individual things I do and it doesn't matter what group I'm a part of, then why would Daniel pray for his people, even his ancestors? They're, they're dead already. But there's a recognition that sin, if we just reduce it to people, it's hard to figure out when the mob comes and the mob does something, whose fault is it? Mm -hmm. If we don't have a category for corporate sin, then we don't have any way to diagnose the problem of mob sin. And I'll tell you, there's so much group sin that exists, right? Yeah. History is filled with lots of individual people who maybe had good intentions, uh, but they were part of, they were cogs in an evil machine. And I think part of diagnosing and understanding our own sin is to say, man, I, I, I'm not sure which piece I even had to play in this, but <laughs> I recognize that there are oppressive things going on. Something has gone wrong. Something is awry here. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at our society and we look at, we look at poverty, when we look at any of these big justice issues people talk about, we have to think something's broken. And I didn't necessarily, I don't do all these things to make all of it happen, but I'm a piece of a system where this happens. 
And, and the biblical model is corporate repentance then. Diagnosing sin doesn't always mean feeling bad about yourself. It just means bringing it to God. And we'll talk about repentance next week. But corporate sin is, is a thing. It's just one more of the places where we need to diagnose our problems. Um, just a quick pause. Yeah, please. If we have, so it's helpful to think of sin in terms of both the internal stuff that we deal with and the external. Internal is the stuff that I wrestle with inside that's not pretty, but maybe I haven't acted on or said anything about. It's just where I'm at. External means I've started to impact others with that or I've taken it out on somebody. This also has the implication of being personal and group, right? So we have individual sins, corporate sins, internal sins, external sins. Does this make sense? It's everywhere. <laughs> it impacts just us. It impacts everyone. It impacts us too, right? So there's a few lines. We talked uh, last week about Esau Macaulay's Lent book that we're using sort of as a resource. We're not going chapter by chapter. Again, I commend it to you. It's super short, super helpful. Um, he says a couple things in there that, that were really sort of gave me a good a kick in the chest in a good way, I guess. Um, <laughs> if there is a good way. If to there is such a good chest. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a kick in the chest that I needed hmm. or, or maybe something that, that, would, that jarred me a little bit. Um, so he says things like this. The old devotional books that, that people used to use have lists of vices for us to consider. For example, regarding snobbery, the St. Augustine prayer book wonders, have you been prideful over race, family, position, personality, education, skill, achievements, or possessions? Man, that's a pretty comprehensive, right? Yes. He says, this is not a question I often put to myself. It is good to, for me to reflect on these things. Not so I can feel wicked, but so I might be healed. Mm. And we're going to get to grace in a minute. But it's important for us to recognize the depths of our sins. It's important to realize that if we dig down to the bottom of ourselves, we're not going to find a pure soul that can fix everything. We're going to find that if we dig to the bottom, we'll find a wounded soul in need of healing, is how Esau puts it. If we are honest with ourselves, and this is what Lent does, it, it's a reminder that you are dust and to dust you shall return, that we need to look inwardly because if we really do a good diagnosis, there are lots of, we're broken in all kinds of creative different ways. Well, it's a structural integrity issue. Sin is a structural integrity issue of our souls, right? It's not just surface. It's not just little pieces we could pick off and set down and the rest of us is sound. It goes all the way down. And the answer is not found in ourselves. Because th the reality is, as we look at all these different ways to look at sin, all these diagnostic tools, the point isn't, again, just the, the, the heavenly assessment, the heavenly <laughs> test that we're trying to pass. Because when we look at all these things and we really understand it, we realize sin leads to death. Sin delivers death. Our, our life is not simply an examination. Our life is participating in the created world that God made. God meant for us to be made in his image. Adam and Eve are given work to tend in the garden. Some people use language that the Garden of Eden is like a, a temple, and they're the first priests. And they were meant to participate with God's creative activity. Mm -hmm. This is who God made us to be. And instead, we choose the things that instead of being creative are destructive, are decaying. 
we contribute to the things that that erode ourselves that erode others we are are part of the problem um so there's a there's a children's book called the never-ending story it was originally written in german but they translated it into english and they um made a movie out of it in the 80s um in the never-ending story if you ever watch it or read it um there's this thing called the nothing that slowly eats up the storybook world and the nothing when they describe it you look at it and it's not blackness it's not darkness it, it's like a void it's like this emptiness that slowly eats things up that is what sin is it eats away and corrodes it is simply the thing that that takes away goodness it's coldness it's darkness it's deviating from what god meant this is the bad news this is the <laughs> bad news of lent that we need to hear before the good news but it's part of the hard work of lent is being in the wilderness and, and understanding all, all the different ways that sin has entered our, our life and how it is leading us into yeah this structural integrity it's leading us to be to be part of the the work of undoing the goodness that god wants to do but this is a good point to pause yeah. and to ask before we move on to the part two. Which before we get to the good news. Before you get to the good news, <laughs> there was a lot that we just heard about different types of ways to understand sin, um, sin personally versus publicly or internal, external, however you want to think of it. What caught your attention or do you have any questions or thoughts? Yeah, thoughts, because this is the time to pause and take a breath. <laughs> the floor is open. Yes. How do you know the difference? <laughs> I promise you, there's a reason to get up in the morning. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Just hang on. I know. I know. Well, that's, well, that's I mean, a different sin, though. So. <laughs> well, no, but that's the joke, right? I'm a really good sinner until my feet hit the floor. and I, uh, I'm a really good saint until my feet hit the floor and I start doing my things. And then maybe I've yeah. crossed into sinner category, right? Yeah. But yes, I, I mean, all of us, <laughs> we contain multitudes, right? A and we have the propensity for horrific things and things that are just not great. And yet we have the propensity because of Christ for remarkable goodness and transformation. Mm -hmm. I, I promise you, I'm gonna give you the counterbalance to this. I know it's, I know it's hard. The good news is coming. And that's, for me, why it's helpful to have some of these other pictures. When we think about like, was this a sin 
sin as these like individual like units. If I think about it in terms of the, the, the coldness, darkness thing or the deviation, then it means there's still some good in there that, that's been used for ill. But like if I preach a sermon and, and most of me just like does it because I want to look impressive and I don't actually care about equipping you guys to be better Christians. Right. If, if I preach that, there's still part of me that, that, that is preaching for you guys. And, and the part that, that is disordered needs to be redirected and sanctified. But that doesn't mean every individual module of our life is either sin or not a sin. It's that sin takes good things and kind of pulls it a little bit away. But it well, doesn't mean that we're not. And then the other part of it is, if I'm leaning us into grace, let's say this example happens, which it never does, because always, St. Luke, we're preaching to you from nothing but the purest of intentions. Only pure intentions. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. A little tongue-in-cheek. We're <laughs> just as flawed as you are. But the point is, even in that equation, if there was a, if most of him was still in a wrong place preaching to you, that doesn't mean that what you hear, God cannot use for good, because what we bring to the table is not the end of it. God acts within us and out there among us and out there among the world. And grace, the grace, the good news is, is that sin and death is not the final word. We can't ignore this. This is devastation. But that's not where it stops. Thanks be to God. Yeah, so the, the transition into grace, it's important to understand the depth of our sin. Yeah. Um, because grace has never changed, right? Grace covers all of this. Mm. The fact that we discover more in interesting parts of, of how <laughs> we sin every day has not changed the reality that grace covers at all. That's right. We want to be comprehensive about sin and acknowledge it to God and recognize at the same time, like Joyce at the beginning, holding those things in tension. Just because we discover the depths of sin, well, that means God's grace covers all those things too. Right. That, that grace covers our little deviations from goodness, that That's grace right. covers our selfish ambitions that, that can poison what's going on. Grace is that deep. So I'm tagging off. Joy gets yeah. to be a good cop today. <laughs> and so we might switch for next week. <laughs> but here's the good news. Okay, so remember how I was telling you just now that sin is a structural integrity issue that we have if we're a house. Um, our house is, the foundation is off with sin, Okay. And when you buy a house like that, you know you're going to need to address it or the whole house could come tumbling down. The great news is that when you receive Christ into your life, he becomes the cornerstone and everything else is now found. The minor prophets talk about him being the plumb line where everything else is perfectly in order, perfectly lined up, an engineer's dream. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. So as deep as sin is, no matter how skewed or warped I might be at times, no matter how conflicted or um, different shades of gray I might bring to any interaction, God is nothing. If sin is the absence of light, then God is nothing but grace, truth, love, all of that with no flaw and no limit. Okay? So... Grace, that's gonna be what we're talking about now. This is the other end of the spectrum. What is grace? Grace is a word we hear about and say again and again. Uh, we become used to it. If we talked about sin um, and having that kind of cultural definition, grace sometimes means, say grace before we eat, please. 
it's not just a blessing, right? It, it's more than just a quick prayer. Grace is unmerited favor from God. Another way to say it is it is something given to us freely. Freely. That is grace. And for Christians, grace comes from God. So God's grace is a gift freely given to us. We did absolutely nothing to warrant it. It wasn't our birthday. We didn't earn it by coming in first place. We didn't even get a participation trophy. God gave it to us because he loves us and because we said, I want to be yours. And he said, that's it, enough. My grace is now yours. And that's where the great news takes off from us, okay? So the key here is that it's unearned and it's undeserved. I didn't do anything for it. I didn't do anything for it. I, I can't make that happen for me, but God can, and he does, and he will for everyone, all right? Now, according to Augustine, um, if we've talked about kind of his understanding of what sin is or isn't, he also says that if all of that corrosive stuff that he talks about is an absence of goodness, grace, God's grace, is now what lets us choose to do the good. It's what helps us get back on track. It's what says, I can't do this alone, God, and I need your help. I'm going to mess it up. I love my family. But like you're saying, there are moments where I just wake up cranky. I haven't had my coffee yet, or it's a bad day. Have they done anything to wrong me? No. Do I fail to love them the right way? Yeah. Through God's grace, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. That can be a moment. And God ministers to my family and to me in this beautiful moment by saying, you're not enough but I am. Receive. Okay? That's a whole thanks be to God moment mm -hmm. right there, right? Okay? So grace is the exact opposite of sin. If sin is destruction and it's corrosive and it's this warping of things that are good or, or eating it up, grace is what restores us. It is what heals us. It is what sets us to right in a way that we cannot for ourselves. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, I get very passionate about this, so I'm going to try to keep it clear and concise and cohesive here, but I am very excited about this. Um, one of the things that I would love to, to just realize here for us all is that grace and mercy are sisters. They're sisters. God's grace and his mercy towards us, they are related. There's a little bit of a nuanced thing here. So grace is the gift that we haven't earned and we receive it anyways. God's mercy is that we don't get everything that we deserve or everything we've got coming to us, okay? To me, that's two sides of love, right? That's two different sides of the coin, however you wanna describe it. But I think of them as sisters and they both are uh, manifestations of God's intense love for us and those are true now back then and forevermore that is true okay um what i what i love about this is that we're talking about how these things are held in tension and we experience that now but this isn't 
50-50. It's not like 50% sin, 50% grace. I know how this ends, and I know who wins. What wins, guys? If I have to ask you point blank, does sin win or does grace? What's the answer? Grace. Thank God, yes. <laughs> grace is the answer. That's the end result, okay? That's okay. That's good. We can rejoice in that. Yes, yeah, sin has a lot of effects in the here and now, but grace is what wins. That's where we get to set our sights on. That's what we get to renew ourselves in every single day and begin again and again every single time. Okay? That's everlasting. Sin will be destroyed. Death is already it's already done. It just doesn't know it's dead yet. But grace, mercy, truth, love, these things will remain forever, everlasting and everlasting. And that's something to be excited about. Um, all of this stuff comes out of this beautiful truth, too, that God extends us grace because he wants to be in communion with us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants that. And our sin means that we can't get there on our own. Even if we want to, we can't. We're too flawed. But God wants to be in relationship more. More than that. And this is where these beautiful gifts come from. His desire to love us. His desire to be with us forever. His desire to make us one, even as he is one in his trinity. Okay? Um, we're never going to discover the limits to these things, by the way. There is no limit to God's grace. His innate goodness, his just, he is good, his infinite love, it guarantees it. He guarantees that. You're not going to find the end of it. I don't encourage you to try. <laughs> I don't think that would be good for you. But I promise you that no matter how far down you fall, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter the things that you feel the absolute worst about, about who we are and maybe what we've done or the ways in which we have failed, his mercy and his grace go deeper than that. Okay? I think for me that this disposition question, we're, we're bad at forgiving each other. Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, when, when someone says, I'm sorry, big or small, what, what's like a default culturally accepted response? I'm sorry. It's okay. No worries. Right? But that's it's not I forgive you. That's like, oh, no. We, we don't feel comfortable with the, the sort of weird debt of forgiveness. It'd be weird if you, like, accidentally, like, stepped on someone's tongue and said, oh, I'm sorry, Mingo. I forgive you. <laughs> We'd feel like that's, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. We don't talk about Why that. Why are you here. so mad about Why that? Why are you so mad? Right? And I think sometimes we imagine that about God, that what forgiveness looks like is God going like, it's okay. It's okay is not what he says. Right. God says, I forgive you. You are my child. I used to, before I became an Anglican, um, communion to me, it was the Baptist church, so they like pass around a little plate and you hold a little piece of bread. And, and you hold a little cup and you kind of wait till everybody gets theirs and you all sort of eat it. And no one taught this to me, but I somehow internalized that what I was supposed to do while I hel held that little like oyster cracker was to feel really loathsome about myself, to just mm -hmm. think about the depths of my sin and how terrible I was. And then when I took it, it was like, oh, okay, like it's paid for. 
right? But paid for is back to zero. Mm -hmm. Paid for is, okay, I don't have a debt anymore. But grace is so much more than that, mm -hmm. right? I spent a lot of time giving you all the bad news. <laughs> the, the depths of our sin is significant, but the thing we get is not, is not just a clearing of the deck, but a credit to our account. That's right. it, it is beyond that. God's disposition towards us isn't the way I sometimes feel when my son makes a mess. I'm like, all right, it's going to be okay. <laughs> no, it, it is delight and love, yeah. right? It is beyond an it's okay. It's, it's okay, and I love you. And grace is beyond our sin. That's the gift. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which sometimes we read to our kids in, in our various rooms, and if you haven't read it, I encourage you to. It's got gorgeous pictures. It's lovely. But they describe God's love like this. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And I think too often we say God's love and, and we say grace or we say mercy and we, we think of it not in the fullness of that. That is a closer and a truer definition to the type of lavishness that God's grace is for us. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Okay? It is delight. It is finding out that you, in and of yourself, are beloved. Henry Nouwen says that. He's one of my favorites. Uh, favorite teachers, favorite mentors in the faith, and he describes us as, as being the beloved of God. And that's perhaps a really good thing to ponder and to meditate. Instead of thinking of ourselves just as sinners or as whoever we are, at whatever stage we are in our lives, what would it be like if every morning I woke up and I fully believed I was the beloved of God? I don't even know if I can wrap my mind around that fully for like five minutes, let alone to live an entire life like that. Yet that's closer to the calling that we have as children of God. We get to claim that every day of our lives, and we get to live into that reality. All right? Um, it's just beautiful. So I'm going to quickly read you two verses from Ephesians. Um, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians in um, all about grace. So this is Ephesians 2. Uh, you could read this whole... Um, you could... Thank you. You could read this whole book, basically, or this whole chapter, and it would be all about grace and goodness and all this. But I'm going to read you. Don't worry about it. I'll clean it up later. Here's my water that spilled. This is verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. Okay. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's who we are. That's who we've been made to be. And yeah, we're marred by sin, and we're flawed, and, and it's, it's a little bit of a mess. But that's who we are. We are God's beloved. He considers us righteous, and so we cannot consider ourselves to be worms beneath that gift. Okay? No worm theology. We believe in a God who loves bigger. So that's the, the challenge this week as you continue to do these habits and you lean into it. Uh, do the hard work. Do the real 
hard, difficult diagnosis work of understanding mm -hmm. your sin, um, maybe looking at it through different lenses to help you diagnose the problem well. And then as deep as that, as that pit you dig, as, as deep <laughs> as that recognition, know that God's grace is always deeper. It, it always runs deeper than, than whatever you found out about yourself. God knew it already before you discovered it. God knew it long before you, you did it, before you discovered it, before you realized it, and, and he loved you ahead of time already. And he's uh, loving you through it now. He's loving you through it now, yeah. That's right. The, 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 the two pitfalls are either self-loathing or a permissiveness that says, well, you know, whatever, God covered it. Or pride. Or pride, yeah. So both of these are symptoms of pride. It's thinking of ourselves too highly, right? Either it's not a big deal at all, or it's the absolute worst, or what's the problem? I think it's fine. Hmm. Either way, it's what I think about me, which is what is at the heart of the problem. And we need to get closer to what does God say about who we are to him. Yeah. So next week we'll talk about repentance and renewal. We'll get a little bit into, take these ideas and our habits and talk about what it looks like to turn from sin and to have our faith renewed during Lent. And um, the week after that, we will touch and talk about Holy Week and get you ready to onboard back into transitioning from the season of uh, discernment and quietness and space yeah. into making that turn into celebration and rejoicing. Okay? Easter's longer than Lent, remember. That's Easter's right. 50 days, Lent's only 40. Um, That's right. <laughs>